All right. Good afternoon, everybody. I don't think it's morning for anybody. Well, it's morning for somebody, but it's not morning for most of our audience. Good afternoon, everybody. You're here for the weekly Vine Down, which is a weekly show where we get candid, sometimes weird, sometimes humorous, and really candid about the myriad of issues and topics impacting higher ed and enrollment. I'm Emily Smith, uh, coming to you from still sunny and temperate Colorado, and I'm joined by my colleague, Vinay. Vinay, why don't you introduce yourself to the people? I'm Vinay. I'm one of the co-founders here at College Vine, and I'm joining you from the oppressively hot environs of downtown Dallas, Texas. That You made that choice, man. I don't know what to tell you. That was a you choice. I support you. I'm enjoying my sweater. I just want to be even closer to my Longhorns football team this season um, as they break my heart every Saturday. So here we um, are. Also a choice. That sounds very sad for you, but let me know how I can support. Um, well, hello, audience. We are really excited to see you and, and hear from you. It's back to school time. It's Labor Day week. It's hurricane season. It's election season. Time is flying. And many of you have your students moved in. Many of you are off to the races with fall travel. NACAC is just around the corner. Um, and we are this week discussing a favorite topic of both of ours, Vinay, student search. We love it. We hate it. We feel like we have to do it. But really, do we have to think about it in the same ways that we used to? No. I mean, that's the answer. No. But please don't leave, even though you've got uh, the short answer is no, you don't have to keep doing it the way you've been doing it. Um, but we are really excited to dig into a bunch of um, data and topics about just the uh, response response rates around student search and sort of the current thinking around student search, given a lot of changes that are happening. A lot of folks are really interested in this topic. So really eager to dive into that. Um, I'll introduce myself very quickly. I um, have said my name. I have been working in enrollment and admissions across 20 years, four companies, probably 500 admissions offices. Um, student search was a big part of, has been a big part of my career. I've, I've worked in consulting student search, CRM um, in most of my career. And in my first job out of college, Vinay, I had student search response postcards from a couple of universities taped up around my office. And what was under those um, search response cards were, um, I, the search files used to come in a fixed width spec and they still do, but um, we, I had a, a ruler like of 5,000 characters of like which fields were in which positions. I taped it all together and it went around my room twice. Um, and that's how much I loved student search was that I needed that uh, fixed with spec as a um, as an artifact in my office at all times. On that note, I'm Vinay. I'm one of the co-founders here at College Vine, um, and I oversee, amongst other responsibilities, a lot of our data analysis and research, uh, specifically with an eye towards folks in higher ed, but also for folks in K-12 um, and pretty much anywhere in the uh, educational journey that, that high school students take in the U.S. Um, my personal experience with search, uh, beyond the last few years when we've been working with enrollment teams to diversify um, their lead gen and recruitment strategies, um, but my first, you know, so I've obviously had some, some experience there, but my first experience with search was actually as a recipient of approximately um, <clears throat> anywhere between one and 4,000, I don't know the exact number, um, emails plus postcards. In fact, I'm sure that you probably worked at a school, if I am thinking of the timeline I'm correctly, certain. that sent me one or more postcards <laughs> slash brochures uh -huh. slash mailers during uh -huh. that time. I'm sure I did. By, um, 
one of the various providers of, of, of names. At any rate, today we've got some really exciting data to get into about, well, exciting in the sense that it's interesting, not necessarily exciting for, for, for folks who are, are counting on search to play a role um, or play a big role in their recruitment strategy. That's right. We've got some interesting data to take a look at. Before we do that, um, I think a good place to start, though, would be for you to do a quick level set just on who we are here at CollegeVine and how we partner with colleges and enrollment leaders. Yeah, yeah. Um, I realize that some of our audience might not know like what, who CollegeVine is or why we care about um, why we care about student search and why we care about sort of the data that schools are seeing. So you can think about CollegeVine as completely different than any other recruiting network and platform. Um, we are a public professional network for high school students. And I think thinking about us like LinkedIn, and those of you watching us, like you're on LinkedIn, so you know what LinkedIn is. Um, but you can think about us like LinkedIn for high school students. I think that's a pretty good analogy. So we have 2 million high school students who have joined and they create full professional profiles with an explicit understanding that they are there on CollegeVine to connect with colleges and organize their work to get recruited by colleges. Um, so the way this works for colleges is that colleges can come on our platform, send out connection requests to students based on segment, admissibility, affinity, lots of data points. Um, and when students get those connection requests, they decide whether they want to connect with you or not. So it's not like something that happens to you because you took some action to register for a test and then like through the magic of television, you start getting mailers and postcards and you can't control it as a student. Students are actually building a network of colleges that they want to get recruited by. And once you're connected with a student on the college side, all of their profile data goes right into your CRM as a super deep inquiry. Um, and these students apply at about a 20% rate, depending on like when in the cycle you connect with them. So we really perform better than any other channel because we are like mid funnel and lower. We're not in the, in the business of creating lots of volume and then having you like turn the handle on converting those students down through your application funnel stages. Um, we're really bringing explicitness and relationship and human relationship building with the students at scale um, in a way that they can control. Shocking. Um, so that's sort of what College Find is and does. And we've noticed that there's all this energy in the space right now of moving like this down funnel. So really schools are, are starting to question like how much energy and resources they need to put on top of funnel and how many energies, how much energy and resources they should put sort of mid funnel and lower to like nurture students, build relationships. Um, and really we're helping colleges scale that. So that's who we are at College Vine. And um, we'll jump right into the data. You know, speaking of fall, Vinay, someone joked with me earlier before the show that I should just casually have like the Grim Reaper, Reaper like sickle just sort of set up behind me, not mention it, just be like the Grim Reaper on my Halloween costume coming up uh, as we talk about as we talk about student search. So maybe I'll bring that in next time. I, I feel like that was a real missed opportunity. Well, it's inconsistent nope. with my brand. I can't look like this and be like student search. Yay. And then I'm like, and Grim Reaper doesn't work. Well, I, I, I think that the numbers can, can form a metaphorical <clears throat> Grim Reaper sickle um, as, we, as we look through them. Before we get into that, just want to do a quick note to the audience uh, that if you want to download the full length research report that walks through all this data in a bunch more detail with a bunch more analysis and commentary um, and, um, and graphics and analysis, uh, you can go ahead and scan that QR code. Um, you can enter that link that you see on the screen. I think we'll, we'll pop up a link um, in, in a banner on the screen in a second as well. 
But with that in mind, let's go ahead and, and jump into the data. So the high-level takeaway, the, the one thing that I hope everyone here um, leaves knowing, even if you tune us out for the entire rest of the remaining 45 minutes or, I guess, 35 minutes that we have left, is that 2023 was the worst performing year in the history of student search um, as it relates to enrollment funnels. And unfortunately, it's only going to be getting worse from here. So before I dive into what the numbers are telling us, I wanted to do a quick level set on methodology. So the way approach that we took to measure the efficacy of search um, was we started with a 2018 report that RNL put out uh, that analyzed search funnel performance at 89 colleges and universities um, around the country. We did a similarly structured survey in uh, the spring, or I guess summer, of 2023. Um, reaching 93 colleges and universities. Um, we also talked to a bunch of students. Um, you'll, we'll, we'll get into why a little bit later on. But we used that RNL survey as a benchmark, and we're comparing performance between 2023 and 2018. And I know there's going to be a lot of questions about the specific colleges and universities that participated. Without sort of naming any names, I will just note that um, the college vine sample skews across a broader set of architectural schools, everything from sort of super small, very intimate uh, private liberal arts colleges, all the way up to big flagship public schools um, in our sort of sample. And the, C the sample of, of schools that we pulled in on our survey um, actually have a higher enrollment yield, um, you know, institution-wide than the sample from the RNL survey. So given some of these underlying data points, we actually feel pretty comfortable uh, making the claim that we're putting before you and that our data set is um, pretty representative. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the numbers here. So at a very high level, the search funnel is about two thirds worse than it was in 2018, right? So it's, it's gotten 70% worse just across the last five years. In 2018, the average school in the, in the, in the survey, um, 100,000 names that they bought from, from search providers would have translate, translated into 131 enrollments. In 2023, that same pool of 100,000 cold names translated into 43 enrollments. Um, so also, that's a huge drop off in Also, I'll give, some, I'll give some like grandma context here because apparently I've been in enrollment forever. Um, when I started doing search in 2004 and then the, throughout the earlier 2000s, like it's not just a decline from 2018 on, like we've been watching this decline over the last 20 years um, where, you know, reasonably in the early 2000s, we could expect about 20% of names to convert. Um, you know, we were down to about 0.13% uh, of those names converting in 18. So there's, this is like a longer story and a longer decline, though that line felt like it was a little less steep and suddenly it's becoming more steep and about to yeah. become steeper. For sure. I, th I think that, that part of what's happening is there was a gradual decline in search yeah. performance, especially as um, the, the means of marketing and um, treatment, spoiler for a conversation we'll have a bit later, right. shifted from direct mail into email. Um, but the combination of some of the ways in which email has started to be tuned out by students, some of the ways that technology providers are changing how they treat emails in the first place and, and surface emails to folks with Google, for example, with its promotions, um, you know, 
split inbox and, and other changes like that, when you layer all of that together, the pace of decline is what has, seems to have really accelerated across the last five years. Yeah, that's right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at each of the sort of four key stages, right? Um, how do the cold names convert into inquiries? How do those inquiries convert into applications? Um, how many of those students who apply are actually admitted? And then how many of those admitted students enroll? And I guess, spoiler alert, I'm using that, that phrase a lot. You're going to see a pretty sharp drop off in all four of these stages. Every step within the search funnel um, is becoming less effective and less efficient, right? So the first step um, speaks to some of the things that we're talking about is that conversion to inquiry is down by about 10% um, from 9% in 2018 to 8.1% in 2023. Um, you know, Emily, when you were starting out with, with student search, what was a typical <laughs> inquiry funnel rate that, that, you, that your you know, clients were targeting? Um, it was much more like 15%. So like that 15, 20% felt like what we wanted from like the prospect or lead or suspect stage, depending on how you named it in your CRM or spreadsheet, as it were back in that era, um, to inquiry. That's what we were tracking. So this is definitely uh, worse than that. But again, sort of similarly on that, like less steep trend. And now we're watching uh, a more steep decline. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is this 8% number contains a lot of variability within it right sure. there are brand there are schools that have a sort of higher that have higher levels of brand recognition maybe they've yep. got a successful sports team or whatever and they might still be hovering around in that 10 11 12 percent range but there's a lot of smaller less well-known schools in our sample that are down in the four percent or three percent or two percent range um for for search inquiries so yeah. i think you are also starting to see a bigger spread in terms of outcomes for different institutions based on other factors in their in their branding. Yeah, I ask institutions about this all the time, and I'm no longer shocked to hear like 2% feels like a normal number to hear the way it really wouldn't have um, a few years ago. Like, I now don't sort of like react with shock on my face when I hear that search names are converting at to inquiry at 2%. Like, okay, that seems seems like a believable number. Unfortunately. So the next stage that we took a look at was application rates. And again, you're seeing some continued declines here, right? Uh, down from about a 10% app rate in 2018 to 8.5% in 2023. So even when they cross that first threshold to become an inquiry, um, they're less likely to apply, despite the fact that arguably over that period, applying has gotten easier both from a technical perspective, right, with different sort of online applications, but also from a just admissions process perspective with the rise of test blind and test optional policies and other changes that enrollment leaders have, have made to make the application process more accessible. Although like Vinay, I'm, I'm thinking about this sort of like in relationship to just data about the number of schools that students are applying to, and that's going up. So this decline of application rate going down actually feels um, sort of doubly impactful because um, a lot of school, plenty of schools that I talk to these days have, you know, like we have tons of applications, but our yield is getting worse and worse. And I know we'll get to that. Um, but given that students are applying to more and more schools, and that is, you know, I think in uh, like in 2014, you know, 
8% of students were applying to more than 10 colleges. And by 21, it was like up to 17% were more applying to more than 10 colleges. Um, how do you interpret that overlay of application rate potentially, or sort of application rate potentially being going up given how many schools a student applies to? Well, first as a sidebar, given that I apply to, I think, 31 colleges, oh. 10 sounds like a great, a nice, a nice easy day at the park. Um, yeah, I definitely sent you some mail. You hundred percent like there. There probably was something that you literally composed and oh, sent yeah. to me. Yeah, somewhere in there. So I, I I hear you on that, and and I think what you're seeing right with statistics sometimes, especially when you're looking at one piece of a funnel that is part of a bigger funnel, right? It starts right. all the way at the Other top channels with old and, names. Yep. Uh, yeah, like part of what you're seeing is that. Students are continuing to apply to colleges, but they're finding out about those colleges in different ways, right? So even if they are applying, it's not happening because of search, right? And I think the other thing that you're seeing here is, yeah, you know, if let, let's say kids have increased the number of schools they apply to on average by 30%, but if each name is being sold, you know, yeah, the five or six times, uh, like, like five or six times as much as it was 10 years ago, then you're still going to have a lower conversion yes. into application rates, right? Right. So Part you're like you're rightly saying. pointing to like the, the right dilution across uh, across application rates and across channels, making search feel right. okay even worse. Got it. Yeah, and, and I, I think the the a piece to to sort of keep an eye on, right, is that search names, cold names, are not worthless, but they are worth less than they used to be. Sure. Right. Um, and, and you see that in, in kind of each of these phases. So admin rate, um, this is also an interesting sort of trend for me, just given how you've seen variability and what admin rates have done over the past several years. Um, but admin rates are also down 10%. Um, now, there are obviously some schools who have just seen such a surge in applications that they're going to bring down um, admin rates. But you'd imagine that as... Um, the level of data and insight into who these students are before they even apply goes sort of it has continued to increase. You'd imagine that um, you you might have seen the opposite trend, or at least a, a holding steady. But even at this stage of the funnel, right, um, admit rates are, are are coming down. The students that you're getting through search that are actually converting through a search mechanism are less admissible, right? Even if you have admissible students coming to you from other places or other sources. And then the last piece, probably the single biggest contributor to funnel performance, is that yield rates are down by more than half, right? They fell from 25% on search names to 11% in 2023. Um, and I think this is definitely the, the single biggest contributor to, um, to, to what we're seeing with the decline in search funnel performance. And yeah, it, it starts all the way upstream, where if each name was being sold you know, eight times or 10 times in 2015 or 2012. Now it's being sold 40 times or 50 times or 100 times, depending on who, who the kid is. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, like the, that tracks with sort of national, this outtracks national norms because in 2015, um, John Bakkenstead, who runs higher ed data stories that many of you will know about, um, tracked yield across all institutions at 20, like 28% in 2018. Um, and then down to 21% in 2023. 20, 20, uh, um, 
this is like this dropped much faster, I would say, than just any source uh, or regardless, you know, any student source by any method um, yielding. So yield is dropping nationally, as we well know. This is just dropping faster, um, and it's yeah. likely because of that dilution. Like you can't get a sense of schools when this whole process is just happening to you as a student with this really wide open channel of communication and mailers and email. Yeah. And I think part of what you're seeing here, right, is that with the exception of a few schools, um, pretty much every type of, of channel or, or part of the funnel has been getting a little bit worse, but search has been getting a lot worse really, really quickly. Um, mm. And that's why search leads um, or search prospects or search inquiries or search suspect, whatever whatever name you want to use for, 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 for the students that are in your funnel from search, that's why you're seeing them perform at like half of the overall yield rate. I think it's actually slightly less than half if you look at the um, schools in question within our sample. I think the overall mm. average for them was like 23, 24%. And oh, that's the benchmark of all search. sources. That's the benchmark that we're looking at okay. for these schools, yeah. And back in 2018, by the way, um, if you look at the yield rates for the schools in the original sample, I think it was like 27, 28%. So search students yielded at pretty close to the same rate as their overall pool of admits in 2018. In 2023, they were half as likely to enroll as other admits. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, like I said, a lot of bleak numbers that we're going to be taking a look at. This is probably the final bleak number that we'll be taking a look at, um, at least on the funnel side. Um, and just it's worth thinking through what this means from a budget and efficiency perspective, especially given that you know, budgets continue to, be, continue to be constrained, you continue to face operational challenges in an enrollment offices. The direct cost that you're paying just to you know, College Board or ACT or whoever your name providers are, the direct cost for each search enrollment is three times what it was in, in, in 2018. And that's sort of, that makes sense. That's the inverse of a 70% decline in funnel performance. Mm -hmm. But every single student that you enrolled through search, it costs you $1,200 just to acquire that lead. Um, and so that to me is the scariest number because as you look a little bit down the pike and you look at probably a further decline in efficiency just because of some of the structural factors mm -hmm. and the search cliff, right? It's not crazy to me that in 2026, 2025, you're looking at a world where your direct cost per enrollment to, again, a search name provider might be 2,500 bucks a kid or $3,000 per enrolled student. That's right. Um, and that's a pretty scary world given the pressures for efficiency and the pressures on budgets that you're seeing at a lot of institutions around the country. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also want to point out, like, we talk a lot about cost per enrollment, and I spend a lot of time asking enrollment leaders if they track cost per enrollment. Very few do. So if you're listening to us right now, and you're like, well, that's not something I know is what a cost per enrollment per channel is, I would deeply encourage you to make time this year operationally to understand what it costs to enroll a student. In the corporate side of things, and I sort of break the third wall often in this in this podcast, and when we talk about like the sales organization within a corporation, which is essentially what an admissions organization is within an institution, you're like responsible for acquiring new people, students. 
um, in a, in corporate, in corporate side, we often talk about like customer acquisition cost, and that would be your cost per enrollment. Not many enrollment leaders see all this all the way through and do it per channel. Um, and I would just, I cannot get more fervent to encourage you to understand this number, to measure it by channel. Um, and by channel, I mean like your source names and your search sources, and then all of your other, other ways that you get and source students and to understand all the way down what your cost per enrollment is. The reason why I'm so fervent about enrollment leaders knowing this is that if you know this, it becomes really easy to make decisions about driving behaviors in your team, vendors to bring on, and other things to do. It like it makes that decision making very, very, very clear because you're like, oh, this will offer me a better efficiency in cost versus this other method. Um, so I can't. I would tattoo it on my face if I could. I could tattoo it on my face. Um, I won't do that. But if I could put it on a poster and hold it up in front of enrollment leaders, that is a, a major thing that I would encourage you all to get to know just because it gets you to really clear and easy decision making. Yeah. Um, for, for what it's worth, we could, we could build like an Instagram style filter um, that allows you to have it like tattooed on your face when you're giving a presentation about search, even if you're not, you know, getting a permanent tattoo. Technology, huh? Crazy. So before we push forward, I actually see a, a good question in the chat from Kelsey, which is, do any of these statistics directly correlate with the decreased availability of names due to the continued rise of test optional colleges and universities? Um, yes, I think absolutely. Now, the reason that each name is being sold more times isn't just about um, changes in sort of uh, student demographics of, of who's taking tests. It's also because, again, these name providers are trying to grow their revenues, right? So when you have names as your primary product, you're going to sell each name more times to grow your revenue. But you're absolutely right to call out that the shift to test optional and test blind policies has been a really big factor here. And part of why that is, is that even though the College Board and ACT have been able to keep their the total number of names available in search reasonably consistent over the last few years. There's been a, a drop off for sure since 2018, 2019. The way that they've done that is actually pretty interesting because what you've seen over that period is a pretty big drop in what you'd think of as like the traditional college bound, four-year college bound population of, of kids taking an SAT or an ACT exam. Um, on their own, on a weekend, as part of the college admissions process. And the way that they've actually backfilled those names, or, or that name volume, is they've shifted and increasingly pivoted to signing contracts with um, state-level departments of education, or even big urban districts like Clark County um, School District in Nevada, which is the, the, the district that contains Las Vegas. They've actually signed contracts with these districts or with these state DOEs to substitute the PSAT and SAT and SAT or the pre-ACT and the ACT as a replacement for the state level um, you know, graduation standardized exams, right? So there are kids that will take the PSAT as a 10th grader instead of a sort of standalone exam like they historically would have. And those are students who are being popped into search regardless of whether they're actually going to be on a college pathway or not, regardless of whether they're a student who's going to be going to a traditional four-year institution or entering the workforce or whatever. And so part of what you're seeing is, yes, absolutely, a drop in numbers and each name being sold more times. But part of what you're seeing is that 
they've been search name providers have kind of been playing a shell game a little bit with the composition of the students that are in search. You, when you buy a hundred thousand names from a search provider, you're actually reaching fewer students who are specifically on a pathway to a four-year college than you used to be. Just because of the makeup of who, who are in that source, who is. Yeah. Like there, there are students who plan on entering the workforce or plan on caring for a family member, but they're forced by their, their school to sit down and take the PSAT as a 10th grader. So they're going to be in search. They're forced to take the SAT as an 11th grader as part of the, or as, as a 12th grader as part of their graduation requirements. So they're going to be in search. But they're yeah, not the, necessarily college applicants. Yeah, and that's like that's the that's the access uh, argument for search, right? Like the college access argument for in support of student search is to to bring colleges to students who might not think that that's an option for them. Whether it's like, oh, I think I'm heading to workforce, or I think I'm heading to care for a family member. That um, there are students who, if educated about what college is and what it costs and what the outcomes can be will change that path and go to college. But um, that's a, uh, that's the, the access argument then gets really deep and multifaceted beyond that when you think about the, the students who are taking tests um, on the weekends um, as mostly like white, wealthy, uh, high achieving students. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's a deeper access argument than that. Absolutely. So the last piece I want to touch on um, continues to hit on this theme, which is the upcoming search cliff um, that you're going to see particularly over at the college board because of precisely this, this motion that we talked about, where they're partnering with districts, with state departments of education through K-12 institutions. When they switch to a digital PSAT exam this fall and then SAT exam next spring, all of those students that are taking a standardized test on uh, during the school day, whether it's a PSAT or a school day SAT, they're no longer going to be in search. So you're going to see anywhere from a 40 to 80% drop in name availability, depending on which grade year you're looking at, um, of search names. And by the way, you're going to get a, a bit of a sneak peek or a sneak preview of this right this upcoming December, just because this is going to be the first cohort of students who are taking the digital PSAT. Um, now, obviously, a lot of 11th graders will have already been, you know, finagled into search from last year's participation in the paper PSAT. But for sort of the rising 10th grade population, you're going to see a drop off there. And I would just keep an eye on that. Take a look at the name by that you're doing with the college board for PSAT names in December or, or January when they load those names in. And just keep an eye on on how much yeah. of an impact you, you're, you're seeing, because um, the early data signs from, from a data perspective are that there's a lot. Um, there's going to be a pretty big drop off there immediately before you even get into the huge impacts across the next three years. So in part one, we kind of took a look at what's happening with the search funnel. And part of that story is that you know, names are being sold, sold more often. Those names maybe aren't as strong of a fit for a four-year college pathway. But part of what you are seeing is the increasing ineffectiveness of your traditional treatment mechanisms, direct mail um, and, and email, right? So there's a, a variety of factors for why search performance is in decline, too many colleges chasing the same names, 
some disruption of the traditional recruitment funnel, like we've talked about. But the inefficacy of some of these primary treatment mechanisms is also absolutely playing a role in what we're seeing. So first, I think it's worth just digging into some of the numbers. Part of the reason that we surveyed students as part of this report is we had a hunch about this and we wanted to kind of dig in and see how they felt about um, the emails and direct you know, print mail campaigns that they're receiving. When you look at the numbers, it's kind of staggering, right? So the, the typical junior received about 1,500 pieces of uh, print mail and emails combined from colleges in the last 12 months. There's no way your messaging and the things that make you unique as an institution are cutting through that clutter, right? If a student is finding you and they're part of search, arguably in some cases what you're seeing is they actually figured, like found out about you or built affinity for you in some other way. Maybe a friend told them about it. Maybe they saw your football team on TV. Um, maybe they drove by campus one day and thought, thought it looked cool. But arguably a lot of what you're seeing is not even the impact of search treatment in the first place. That's the first piece. And the, the, even when the mail does break through and they actually open it up and read it, 70% of kids think that it feels like spam. And only 13% of kids say that it has, any, has a strong impact on their motivation to apply. Um, I, I feel like the, the headline here is that like you can't control it. Like students can't control what happens to them. It is something that is happening to them. Like they take some action not related to hearing from a college and then it's happening to them. Stuff just starts showing up and colleges can't control what other colleges are doing. And so nobody can control this. Like it's just, um, it just feels like a runaway train in so many respects and um, just sort of an uncontrollable dilution. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think anyone is like doing this on purpose, right? Like, no, no. Like schools it's aren't malevolent. No. setting out with the idea to like spam yeah. kids. It's just a, a natural function of you're, you're kind of doing the thing that you always did, which is you're reaching out to them via email or via a mail campaign. You maybe don't have the, you know, operational resources or, um, structure within your office to, to do more than that. But because every school is set, stepping out there and doing that, you're, you're really not breaking through. Yeah, that's right. And and I, no, think... I mean, I have, I worked with so many schools on student search over the years and um, nobody is saying like sort of evilly tapping, tapping their fingers together on this. Like this is like a, we genuinely want to be seen and known um, and we want our differences and our points of uniqueness to be seen and known by the students who should know about us like that is a genuine good intention um and yet uh it, it can't be realized based on the volume and the noise yeah and it's funny you phrase it that way because oftentimes that's what students are increasingly looking for from colleges and they don't really get too much of that in the current system the, the uniqueness and the candor. Yeah, actually I spent, Vinay, I don't know if we've talked this week much, but I've spent a lot of this week talking to students because in future Vine Downs where we've interviewed a few students on the affirmative action decision and just like a bunch of um, current seniors and juniors. And each of them in their own way to me this week told me like, gosh, if if we could figure out a way for colleges just to be unique, and this was in relation to the, the affirmative action decisions, like if colleges just told us plainly how they felt about this, um, we would view them better. And like, actually, we care less about what the statement is and more about that they're just being real, for goodness sake, like just be candid with us. 
um, was the refrain I heard from all the students I, I talked with this week. So yeah, that's, that's right. And I think when you actually look at college emails um, and, and how students feel about them, when you hear students talk about it in their own words, um, it's brutally candid is probably the best way I would describe it, right? So this is an example of an email. We're not trying to pick on this particular institution. We just, you know, we showed students. No, that's a good search email. Like it has a, it has a good right. image. It has a clear call to action. Like it's a good search right. email. And yet. And yet here's what a student said about it. Um, it just needs to be spiced up. The email is giving out facts that should be commonplace in colleges. Presenting this information as extremely special gives me the idea that they have low standards at this school. And again, like, you know, like so someone worked hard on this email. We're, we're not trying to, to call out that behavior per se. We're just trying to make the point that students see so many of these emails in this style that your hard work just feels kind of commonplace and blasé to them, mm. right? It's, it's, a, it's a problem with the mechanism, not with anyone involved necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my very first job out of college, my boss at the time told me on my very first day, he said, the things that make that colleges think make them unique are not actually the things that are making them unique. We have to help them communicate that, see that and be real about that. Um, yeah. I'm feeling that in this comment from the student for sure. Yeah. And then you have something very similar, another reasonably well-written um, uh, sort of search email, a little bit, little bit more mass marketing oriented, but st still a, a well-written search email. And here we are. This email feels disingenuous and it's poorly written, but most of Oof. all, it feels like a computer talking, not a person. People want to have conversation. We are social creatures after all. Yeah. And again, right, like we're not trying to, not, not trying to call out whoever it was that wrote this email. It's just the, the, the mechanism, the, the, it's the nature of the thing. Domain. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's just broken. Right. And like over the next couple of years, it's going to continue to get worse. Yay. Right? How many times do you think each search name is going to be sold? And then in turn, each of those kids is going to be emailed in a world where the college board has 30% fewer names in search, right. Or 40% fewer names in search. That's right. So when, like just level, to say that again, like volume of a name availability goes down, which means that the name, the number of times a name gets sold starts to double, triple, and it's already enormous. Um, and then your messages, you're even in a, just a noisier, noisier and noisier space. Yeah. We're not that far away from a world in which the average search name is purchased 250 times. Right. Right. Like we're, I, I, literally, we're, we're like a couple years from that world. Yep. And with segmentation and volumes, um, you know, 10 years ago, it was 20 times, 30 times. I think right now it's, you know, uh, like two years ago, it was like around 70 times. And now you're right. We're heading, we're heading like a runaway train into 200 times. Yeah. So um, with that, I think I want to just pop up the link to the report one more time. I think we'll put it up on a, on a banner on the screen. Um, and I think we have a couple more questions in the chat. Um, there was one from Tyler who was asking about search enrollment statistics for international students. Um, so I think candidly, like search has always played a more uneven role for international students, right? A lot depends on whether they are personally working with an agent, whether they're solely U.S. focused versus whether they are, you know, more worldwide in their 
um, higher ed search. So I think there's a lot more noise in that data. What we have seen is that alongside search decline within the domestic US market, um, you are seeing something pretty similar happen internationally, um, but it's a lot more choppy and, and the data is a lot more uneven. I think that's, those are all the questions that we have. I'm certainly happy to see more questions or comments if we have them. And Vinay, as we wrap, I know you've got sort of like a, what should we do about it slide? Maybe we can jump to that real quick um, and just end with those points. Um, well, I, I got to save something for the report. So maybe what I'll do is oh, I'll okay. do a voiceover. I uh, see. I, 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 want, I want people to go download the report. I, I and the team, we worked hard on this. Uh, okay, so, so you too are running student search right now with your call to action and gated yeah, content. Absolutely. Go, go tricky, download tricky. the report if you want all mm. of our strategy insights. Um, but I think a couple of, of just key points I would make are first, um, you're going to need to shift to more of an, a mid-funnel lead gen approach. Um, obviously, that sounds like motivated reasoning because one of the things that we do here at College Mind is we help you build your, your mid-funnel lead base, like your, your base of students who are already coming in as inquiries. But that genuinely allows you to do more and do different sets of things, right? When you've got a pool of 100,000 students that you're trying to draw down or 500,000 students or a million names that you're trying to draw down, you have to exclusively rely on these kinds of mass campaigns. In a world where you're getting the same enrollment impact at the point where you're bringing in, you know, 8,000 or 10,000 or 15,000 inquiries, right? You can do a different set of things to get to a, a similar volume of enrollments. Um, so that's the first piece. The other piece I would, I would call out is medium is really, really important, right? We just looked at some very um, candid feedback that says, that, that's telling us that email and print mail are not the correct medium to reach students in anymore. And so figuring out different ways to reach students, mm. whether that is um, through alternate you know, content pathways, whether that is on social media platforms, whether that is on platforms like CollegeVine, where they are explicitly on CollegeVine for the purpose of getting recruited, you need to reach them in different mediums. You can't continue to just rely on breaking through their spam filter somehow um, and then you know, breaking into their plane of consciousness. Nor can you rely on that the, the idea that the you know, mailer or brochure you send over to them isn't just going to be thrown out or tossed onto a pile. Um, I think at one point I had a stack that was like taller than me of, of print mailers. Um, originally we, start, we, we started out throwing them out and then eventually we just kind of like thought it was entertaining collected that there would be like 15 or them. 20. So yeah, just collected them, built a fort, you know, should have, should have melted it down and turned it into a sculpture. I could have won some abstract art competitions. Um, but at any rate, switching up the medium in which you communicate with and, and reach students. And then that last layer, and it's something that you continuously hear yearning for from students, is to treat them more as individuals and to sort of meet them halfway um, with the same set of things that you want to communicate to them. Yeah, I, I, I will say this as an ex-CRM uh, person. Um, if you are at the place where operationally you're not able to incorporate persona preference data, um, fix your CRM. If you cannot fix your CRM, you cannot get smarter about um, your uh, about the way you use data and the way that you personalize because the staffing crisis is real. It's not going away. Like I think we're just sort of trying to like wait out the staffing and admissions. 
that's not going to change. You're going to be asked to do more with less people and less money. And so if you have a bad system supporting behaviors and sort of bad data that's driving decisions that you're making, fix it so that you can be smarter about this and do operational and human stuff at scale. That is the expectation now that students have is that you are going to be human with them at scale. Um, you know, when I was doing student search 20 years ago, like people were working out of, you know, paper lists and Excel files and Microsoft Access and many schools didn't even have CRMs. So sending general mailers at that time was sufficient. Like it is not those times anymore. Um, so if you can spend some resources to operationally fix your CRM and get more um, sort of clarity about data and um, incorporate things like persona and preference data, uh, you will be able to do human, uh, human at scale. But if you've got operational fires burning, like please fight them. And we get that that's hard, it's um, so hard. right? Like we're, we're, we're not, we're not trying to sit here and tell you that your job is easy, but um, one of the cool things about college Vine is that we also really, really love deploying technology and deploying products and features that help you tackle some of those challenges. Um, so my last sort of sneak peek teaser thing, right? Continue, continuing to drive that conversion activity mm. um, is I would strongly encourage you to stop by our booth at NACAC because we've got some pretty cool stuff coming down the pike that is going to help you do exactly that in a way that doesn't break your operation or uh, make your admissions officers want to quit. That's so, right. I'm so pumped about NACAC. And we have coffee and smiles and high fives. Um, and we're going to be doing a live vine down the Thursday of NACAC um, with some awesome panelists. Vinay, you are on the panel. Jeff Saligo is on the panel. Um, Adrian from Queens University Charlotte is on the panel. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, AI as a tool to uh, sort of extend your staff and extend your thinking and update your thinking. Super excited about that conversation, but please do come visit us at NACAC. You literally can't miss us. We're going to be the biggest thing on the floor. Uh, see all of you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for being here at the Vine Down and take good care. Drink some water. Have a great day. <laughs>